This is Iron Sports. We're talking to Michael Bamberger, the author of The Second Life of Tiger Woods. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on the show, Michael. I'm delighted to do it. Thanks for your interest in the book. <laughs> well, was it great? Do you, broad, do you broadcast just in, are you, do you broadcast in the West Palm Beach area? Yes, we're from uh, West Palm Beach to Port St. Lucie. So, I mean, West Palm Beach from Port St. Lucie down to Boca, so we can hear it from there. So Tiger listens regularly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Tiger is regularly, but the one aspect of the book that I just loved when you talked about was you you really described it, and I don't think it's covered as much, how this area, the Palm Beach County, Martin County, Jupiter Island, has become the mecca of golf. I mean, not since the NASCAR drivers all lived in Charlotte, has like the entire sport have, I mean, the inter, you know, international golfers that, that play across the world, but they all live in the small little segment of Florida, and you really cover that well in the book. The only thing that might be uh, comparable to it is that uh, that small town in the Dominican where all the shortstops used to be from. Uh, but yes, there's a uh, there's a major congregation of uh, of players, uh, those who have made it on Jupiter Island. And- those who are trying to make it in Palm Beach Gardens. <laughs> so we're talking again to Michael Bamberger, the author of The Second Life of Tiger Woods. Um, Michael, this book really, you really took at one point the 2017, um, uh, when he went, Tiger Woods, in terms of when he was stopped on Memorial Day weekend. And that was sort of saying that's when the second life started. And that was the turnaround. And, and so talk a little about what happened in 2017 and Memorial Day weekend and how you felt that was the catalyst for this rebirth where he won the tour championships and then he won the Masters. Right. And, and it's interesting in this, in this moment where police work is getting so much attention and a lot of it very negative attention for totally understandable reasons but if you look at tiger woods's uh arrest uh and as you say i write about it in detail in the uh in the book in uh on memorial day uh morning of, of 2017 it's a textbook example of doing everything the right way and really has nothing to do with tiger woods being an, a, a famous person and it's everything to do with the arresting officers uh just treating a very difficult situation with a lot of humanity. And, uh, and in so doing, I think they actually, the, these Jupiter police uh, officers, actually paved the way for Tiger Woods to be open to the idea that uh, it was time for his life uh, to have a fresh start. Uh, what happened was uh, at about 2 in the morning on Memorial Day in uh, 2017, uh, he was found uh, asleep at uh, the side of the road. He had uh, two flat tires, and uh, the car was uh, completely inoperable. And uh, and he was comatose. And anyone who has seen the arrest tape uh, 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 knows what I'm talking about. And um, and later it was uh, revealed that he had uh, uh, five uh, different drugs in his system, uh, all all evidently by uh, by prescription. But the drugs in combination with each other were definitely potentially lethal, just in terms of the drugs themselves, but also because of uh, operating a, a vehicle uh, uh, under under their influence, uh, presenting tremendous danger to Tiger and to anybody else on the road. Uh, and, you know, I'm reading tea leaves here. Uh, I don't want anyone to think that, oh, you know, Tiger opened up to this guy and this is exactly what happened because Tiger is a very private person and most definitely did not open up to me. So, but, uh, you know, I did as much reporting as I could to try to 
understand what it's like to be Tiger Woods. And uh, I think he's a very proud person, a very smart person. And I think when he when he woke up in the jail uh, on, on that morning, walked out of there, I can only imagine it was with a sense of, this is not the person I want to be. This is not the father or the professional athlete I want to be. And, uh, and it was a catalyst, I think, for a remarkable uh, change in him that led not two years later to him winning the 2019 Masters. Yeah, when we and you describe in the book when we're here at the Honda Classic, and it's interesting that in March 2014, that is when Tiger's back problems became known to everybody when he had to withdraw from the Honda. I was actually at the hole when he withdrew it. He actually walked over. My mom was standing next to his family when it happened. Um, and then it, you really mentioned how in the 2018, that's when people started noticing him. Of course, I walked all you know all the rounds for him on that plus the the uh, the pro am. But he he looked better. It, it's that's when the back started to really feel like you're that he's going to make that comeback i i agree the uh uh i think in that uh he shot a really low round in, in friday on friday to make the cut maybe on the number and uh he might have been first off on that saturday at, at honda uh and then i think he played 10 11 12 13 all in pars and then he walked off after 14 is that correct correct yes and that's far, is that far away from the clubhouse, as I recall? No, he walked, there's a back entrance to it. So he literally walked out. There was a road on the back. So he, when he went there, it was this, the quick story is that my mother wanted, she's like, I can't walk anymore. It's too tiring. It's too hot. And she wanted to go. And I said, no, we're just going to walk back to the clubhouse. And then when, when Tiger walked over, it looked like he was talking to my mom. So I was like, and on TV, when the ESPN, when they keep replaying it, you actually see Tiger talking and he's standing next to um, his children at the time uh, when he went and, and then walked off the back and then got into a van at that point it's interesting uh, because I, I was always curious to know how it was that uh, the daughter was suddenly uh uh making this uh this walk in but i didn't realize it was uh it was such a short walk from there so that was 2014 then yes as you say four years later in march of 2018 that's when i became a believer because because so the quality of the shots were spectacular the quality of the irons were spectacular uh and much more significantly, his head just seemed to be in a different place. Uh, he showed a level of, uh, of interest and awareness. And, uh, you know, golf really reveals a lot about a person. You can tell the mood of the person. You can tell their, their sometimes, not always, but you can often tell the mood of the person and, and their overall uh, satisfaction with life or, or that day. And uh, I, don't, I can't tell you precisely why, but I know I have the most positive impression of Tiger from that Honda tournament in 2018. And then the uh, the following week, he, uh, he played the Tampa event on very short notice and finished one shot out of the playoff. If Tiger Woods can play a hard course that he doesn't know well and finish one shot out of the playoff, you know that he can win a PGA Tour event. Yes, and then, I mean, I just loved... So we've had Mark Canizaro down for the New York Post and John Feinstein, other authors and other people talking about the Masters, and I think everyone brings their interesting perspective. And you really... You really detailed exactly what happened at that Masters. And I love when you talk about on Sunday and how Molinari, who had beaten Tiger twice in the past uh, two years in tournaments, you know, suddenly, you know, Tiger recognized here I'm, I'm behind, I'm two strokes behind. But he felt that he was, you know, he was actually putting this pressure on Molinari. And that's where Molinari and Finau and Kepka and everybody hits in the water on the 12th hole. Well, Tiger, no question, by hanging around was putting pressure on Molinari. But going to 12, he still had a two-shot lead. So it wasn't his pressure 
course, Tiger Woods, who's already got four coats, you're trying to win your first. And it's Tiger Woods, who's in your group. You can see everything he does. But I would say the, the real pressure for Molinari was the fact that he had won the 2018 British Open, defending British Open champion. And now he's got a chance. He's already the greatest golfer in Italian history. But if you can win this U.S., if you win this Masters, uh, become the first uh, Italian uh, uh, to win the Masters on top of being the reigning British Open champion, then he's in the club for life. I think that's really uh, the momentum, the momentum, the momentousness of that realization. I think is probably uh, even more significant than the fact that uh, that it was Tiger breathing down his neck. But I'm not discounting that. Uh, Tiger played a very smart back nine. It was not. People think it was, you know, this perfect uh, back nine like Jack's 30 in 1986 that allowed him to win the uh, his uh, his sixth green jacket over over Norman and others. Uh, it wasn't like that. Uh, uh, and uh, Molinari made uh, made a double bogey on 12, and then he made. But he was still in great position to win this tournament until he stood on the 15th tee and did a squirrely shot there and a bad second shot, bad third shot, made another double bogey there. And then it was sort of uh, over for, for Molinari. So, uh, uh, yes, at some point, uh, that whole 2019 uh, Masters, everyone wants to think of it as a Tiger Woods story and a Tiger Woods show, and it is. But it's way more than that because it's a lot about the greatness of the tournament and how hard it is to win the first Masters. It's a lot harder to win a first Masters than to win a second one or a third one. As guys have shown, you know, guys like Weiner and Alapa Ball uh, and others have, have won multiple Masters without being uh, without winning loads and loads of other tournaments. You had a great stat in the book that I hadn't seen, whereas Tiger on uh, Saturday, so the third round, whenever he's won uh, his majors, he's always beat his playing partner, where he figures that if I'm going to be in the hunt for the tournament, I might as well beat my play. Not only will I have a score to shoot, but, and you talked about how Ian Poulter was his playing partner on Saturday. He was mad that Ian decided to wear lilac pants because that was the color that Tiger was going to wear that day, and, and you're not supposed to wear lilac when Tiger's wearing it, and, it, and he also gave him more incentive to beat him. Well, that, that was a little tongue-in-cheek, you know, that, that not supposed to part. Uh, but I did have a you know, half a joke in the, uh, in the book. It's like, did Ian Poulter not get the message that <laughs> Tiger had already reserved lilac for that day? Of course, there was no rule like that remotely like that. Ian Poulter was the last guy to pay any attention to a rule like that, even if there were a rule like that, which there's not. Um, but, yeah, I, uh, this is theory. Uh, Tiger might deny it. Tiger could deny it, and it still could be true. I think he likes to go out there and bury whoever he's playing with on Saturday because uh, he's got that match play mentality. Uh He's, he's the best match play golfer, you know, in the history of match play golf, along with maybe Hagen and Bobby Jones. But you probably have to put Tiger uh, Tiger first. And uh, yeah, once once he's buried, that got that the Saturday playing partner's got to be playing pretty well to just be playing with Tiger in contention uh, uh, for a major. And uh, if you can humiliate that guy on Saturday, that's one less guy to uh, to worry about. I think there are people who would disagree with that theory, but. Uh, that's, that's my theory, and uh, and there's a lot of uh, evidence that suggests that it's true. So you're talking also throughout the book. You talk about the two major changes Tigers really had in terms of 
you know, he started with uh, Coach Butch Harmon, Hank Haney, and Sean Foley, but now he doesn't have a swing coach. And you talked in the book how golfers didn't usually have swing coaches, and he sort of brought in the whole age of swing coaches, and everyone has that. So now he really doesn't have that swing coach, and he is his coach. And working with, you said, Rob McNamara. But also the change of caddy from Steve Williams to Joe LaCava and how LaCava has just the perfect person for this new Tiger and, and working with him. Right. Uh I think what, what you're hitting on there, Ira, is a very significant thing because uh, well, those of us of a certain age who have seen Tiger's career unfold have seen him going from someone who's very much under the wing and the uh, and, and the and the cap, almost literally, of his uh, of his father and, and, and Butch Harmon, to uh, to figuring things out for himself and. Uh, now, the golfers of Tom Watson's era before, pretty much every generation before uh, Greg Norman and Nick Faldo, they were of the mind of, yeah, I have the guy who helps me. He looks at my grip and he looks at my stance. But I'm my own man out there. But that really has uh, that has changed over the years. And for Tiger to, uh, to reach a point in his career where uh, he owns his own swing and he owns his own fixes, he owns his own mistakes, is a uh, is a very significant uh, development. If you've ever read the uh, the Hank Caney book, The Big Miss, written with uh, Jaime Diaz, um, uh, Hank talks a lot, and of course, from Hank's perspective, of how uh, dependent uh, a Tiger is on uh, on, on Haney. Uh, well, that's not true in 2019 uh, when, when Tiger won the Masters. He's he's figuring out uh, what's working and what's not working on his own. And I think that's a uh, that's another level of uh, of maturity uh, that makes Tiger a better golfer and really a more interesting, evolved, complete person. And then you mentioned in the book, and, and you go over in terms of his relationship, he really didn't have a relationship with a lot of the players before. And then you talked about even at the PGA Championship after in 2018 when Brooks won it, he was waiting for Brooks Kepka. And how and now, and it came almost full circle at this the past year's uh, President's Cup when he is, you know, the leader of the team and involved with the golfers. And it's just totally from being this isolated person to being one of the team now. And you mentioned how LaCava is good on that because LaCava is all about team, team, team. But the point is that you're saying Tiger is really, sw- you know, there's been a big switch from being the loner in terms of being now the leader of a team. Right, and um, I think Lukaba has been significant in that. But I think the most significant thing about it has been uh, the passing of the years. You know, when guys like Justin Thomas, well, consider this, Rory, Tiger Woods has now won 15 majors, uh, professional majors. Rory McIlroy, who's a veteran, who's 30 years old, has only been in one of them. That's astonishing. That's what a dinosaur this Tiger Woods is. In other words... He won in 2019. The previous major was in 2008. So over the course of those 11 years, a new generation came in, and they knew nothing about the Tiger stare and this Tiger standoffishness and the Tiger separation. They just knew that they grew up on this icon named Tiger Woods, and he was still out there playing really good golf, but not golf that was, like, scary good, just really good. Uh, So John Rahm and Rory McIlroy and Patrick Reed, and Justin Thomas, and Jordan Spieth, and Brooks Kepka, and Bryson DeChambeau, uh, and on and on we could go. Uh, they weren't intimidated. They were ready to be buddies with this guy. And enough had changed that Tiger was ready to be buddies with them. Whereas, you know, the Vijay Singh, Ernie Ellis, Phil Mickelson generation, 
Tiger saw no advantage to having those guys as his close buddies. He didn't need or want buddies. Why would he start to beat him? <laughs> so we've been talking to Michael Bamberger, the second life of Tiger Woods. And I guess the question is now, I mean, it's the number one question is like, is Tiger going to make that, you know, have the 18 and tie and tie Jack uh, with those titles? And you know, if you followed him closely his entire career and, you know, it's impossible to predict. But what, what are you thinking in terms of his ability to, to stay healthy and to compete and to win? Well, you know, if he stays healthy, um, he stays strong, he can compete if he competes. He can win. Uh, can he win another three majors? Everything I predict about Tiger Woods is wrong. <laughs> I would say it would be almost impossible. But as Jack Nicholas says himself, never bet against this Tiger Woods because he will always prove you wrong, as thoroughbreds do. There's, there's, you've never been a golfer like him, not even Nicholas, uh, not Hogan, not Lee Trevino, not, not Mickey Wright, not anybody, uh, not Annika. Uh, so bet against him at. Uh, at, at your at your own risk, but I think it I think it's asking too, too much to if he could if he could win one more major it would be an astonishing accomplishment. But the fact is, truly, he doesn't need to do anything. Uh, just by by winning that 2019 Masters, uh, he did complete the circle of returning to the game, and he accomplished something that uh, I'm sure was very dear to him, which is he has said it. I can say it because he has said it. Uh, giving his kids a chance uh, to see him play uh, off the, uh, uh, at, the top of his, uh, at the top of his game. Not like it was in 2000, but still good enough to beat everybody else and take that coat and bring that coat home. We've been talking to Michael Bamberger. He's the author of The Second Life of Tiger Woods. The books just came out. Um, it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It's a great book. I mean, I've read all the Tiger Books book, and I think this is, I mean, Michael, you've covered it for Sports Illustrated and for now Golf Magazine. Uh, just a very interesting take in terms of the second comeback of, or the, the first, come, I guess, the comeback of Tiger Woods. So, Michael, thanks so much for coming on Iron Sports. Ira, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay, thanks a lot, Michael. I appreciate it. Um, All right. Um, also, I went to the University of Pennsylvania. I graduated seven years after you did, but I, I thought that was interesting that you were in Philly. And Very I, cool. Yes. Are you a full-time radio man now? No, I'm a, realist, I'm a lawyer and a real estate developer, and I have a show on Monday nights from, uh, for an hour. But I, I, it's just something I, I go to tons of sports. I've been to – I mean, when you were talking about Honda and Riviera, I mean, I was there. Like, I went – I walked last year – um, I went to like six, seven tournaments. So I traveled, to, I go to all the sporting events and stuff like that besides golf. And uh, so I've just been traveling, for, I mean, you know, 50 NBA final games, 50 World Series games, dozen Super Bowls, everything like that. But um, it's interesting. I mean, I, I didn't have time to go into this about the Genesis. When he was at the Genesis, that's the first time when he was, you know, he was coming back. That was in 2018. And I, I got there early. It's like six in the morning when it's tee off time. And I remember you have to walk up that hill in Riviera and I'm like totally exhausted. And I come right up and he was like two feet from me. And I was like exhausted. He just come right up. I'm like, oh my God, Tiger Woods is like right in front of me. And he played with Mark Wahlberg that day, which is interesting that he was at. And I think Wahlberg sort of loosened him up and playing in that tournament. So it was, I just, you know, when it was neat when you were talking about these tournaments that I went to and uh, you picked up so many interesting tidbits. What, uh, what kind of law do you practice? I'm a real estate attorney. So I'm in New York, based in New York City. So I, I, I live down here in West Palm, and then I go up to New York for when I have to. But I represent uh, high net worth individuals in, in buying and selling properties and also commercial tenants in their leasing. So I'm really busy now negotiating people, buying out leases, leaving New York, all that stuff. So it's a lot of work. Yeah, very good. Ira, thanks for your interest. Uh, 
Really appreciate it. Thank you. We'd love to have you on maybe later in the summer to talk about, you know, maybe the Masters coming up. But you, it was great. I'm so glad we could get you on this time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ari. You take care. Thank you.